hard to believe, Dan, but it is Tuesday, December 21st. Guy Adami here, joined always by my dear friend Dan Nathan. You're watching Market Call Macro. We're going to be joined by the great Chris Vecchio, Senior Strategist at Daily FX. Today's Market Call is being brought to you by our presenting sponsors, Plural. IG, one of the fastest growing Forex dealers in North America. And of course, Dan, Open Exchange, because as we've all come to learn, they manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. Dan, Nathan, how are you today? I'm geeked up. You are all fired up, guy. It you know, really feels like we are limping into year-end 2021 in so many different ways. I think that, you know, interestingly enough, the one prediction that you could have made about the stock market if you thought that we were going to be on the other side of the pandemic is that it would be up 20% on the year. Well, the S&P 500 is up 22% on the year. We have less than a couple of weeks left on the on the year here. But you know what's still around? The pandemic's still around, unfortunately, right? And we know we're all dealing with the human toll and increased kind of you know hesitation about getting out and about and this and that, or whatever. And it really is causing this huge dichotomy between activity and what the stock market's doing. And the stock market, we're gonna look at that in a second. But really, what was that peak to drop decline? Six percent guy and yes, it wasn't big, Dan. It was not it big. Was. And listen, that takes us to our first headline. And I want to talk yeah about you added i think i think you added what do they call that when you add somebody on twitter you added them i think you added anthony but omicron set to have fourth quarter global have fourth quarter economic growth that's hard for me to say basically cut it in half and you went back and forth i think with rosie and anthony scaramucci on this it was a bit of a tweet storm wasn't it dan no, it was not anything of the sort. It was just some bad copying and pasting of the tweet. I just wanted to highlight what Rosie was saying about a conversation that he had with Scott Minard um, of Guggenheim. And it just, listen, well, just best comment for my latest webcast with Scott Minard was how this current inflation has more similarities to the 40s and the 70s, two years of inflation, then followed by huge disinflation is transitory. Now, that's separate of the fact that, again, this variant of the virus is hitting economic growth. This is the second quarter in a row. When you think about Q3, what did what were the estimates for GDP growth? Guy, there were high single digits, at least six, six and a half percent. We got that cut in half. And here we are again in Q4, cut in half. Now, one of the fears and one of the reasons why the stock market may be sold off over the last couple of weeks, whole host of reasons, but one of them was that maybe some of these inflationary pressures are going to stick longer than expected. And maybe that helps choke off growth too. So to me, I just think it's interesting when you bookend these two comments, you and I have a ton of respect for David Rosenberg. We like Scott Myron. Um, I agree with the transitory thing. You don't. It's kind of semantics about the word. I just go back to the fact that I think post-pandemic, and that will happen in 2022, we're going to go back to worrying about disinflationary pressures. Yeah, I agree with that. Listen, we could be talking about slowing growth, but price is still being stubbornly high. But again, that's what they say is make markets. S&P 500, to your earlier point about peak to trough declines, we're still in this significant uptrend. We've talked about this literally since we started doing market call. And here we are again, sort of staying in this upward trend. We test the lower boundaries. Absolutely. We bounce off at each time. And guess what? Seemingly it's happened again. And we find ourselves at the lower end of the boundary, but we're bouncing, Dan. And it's hard to sort of deny that as we get close to the end of the year, you know, with the news now somewhat in the rearview mirror, apparently, you know, there's a good chance we sort of continue to make our way back towards 4750 or so in the S&P. 
Yeah, you made this point on many occasions on Fast Money. If we look at this kind of two-year chart, the S&P 500, you see that we were just flirting with that uptrend from the March 2020 lows. But you made the point that the more variants, the more scares we have, the better that we come equipped to kind of deal with it. Now, obviously, the fear of lockdowns in Europe a few weeks ago really set the market lower. Um, I don't think there's the political will. We've talked about it here in the U.S. for further lockdowns, but that doesn't really uh, mean that consumers won't act differently. Today, the news is that we're going to have these covid 19 pills from Pfizer and Merck. And that's good news um, for treatments um, at home here. But again, you know, I was expecting, uh, Guy, at least a retest of the lows from a couple of weeks ago here, possibly back to those kind of earlier fall lows, but it just doesn't seem like it's going to happen. It's going to have to do with something, maybe the realization that the growth that we lost in Q3, the growth that we're losing in Q4, maybe we just don't get back in Q1. Yeah, and here's the next one that's going to sort of tell the tale, and that's the, the form of the RTY. And we've talked about this. You nailed it. Carter worked it as well. You know, I thought when we broke out in the fall, in late October, early November, we were off to the races, and I thought that was going to be great things for the broader market. Well, proved to be a bit of a false breakout, and I thought subsequent to that, we'd see a retest of these support levels. That actually did happen. And if you look, once again, we tested the lower end of that range we've been in since February, and we have bounced. The question is, is this a meaningful bounce? Is this a real bounce? And are these small caps telling you that although right now we're in a situation where maybe the variant has slowed things down, a couple months from now, we might be saying in some ways, you know, maybe the variant got us to a point where there is herd immunity and maybe things will open up in a meaningful way. I've heard that argument as well. But I think if you want proof positive, it's some of the form of this chart going forward, Dan. And you've been all over this with the small caps, and it really was a good indicator that we'd have this broad market sell-off. It broke out, and then when it failed, it went the other way. And I just look at this chart, and I think about you know rate expectations in March of 2021, earlier this year, when we really did think that the pandemic was going to be in the rearview mirror by this time um, of the year. We saw the Russell breaking out to new highs. The expectation was that rate hikes were going to happen sooner than expected, and that small caps should do just fine in that environment here. Well, what has happened? Rates have gone low and small caps have come back to support. Listen, I think if you look at a multi-year chart, look at the three-year chart of the Russell 2000 here, it just shows you the outperformance that it had as soon as we got news of the vaccines um, around the time of the election last November. And it just blew out as on a, on a relative basis, the S&P 500, the NASDAQ, but the sideway action all year, that's the troubling point. And listen, sooner or later, guy, it's going to break at that level that it's been bouncing off of. And then you see yourself possibly below um, 2000 here, but does this set up near term for a good trade? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think it takes us back to, if you're right, and I think you're going to be, by the way, it's going to take us to levels where we are December of 2020 or 2019 or so as we got into 2020, when we obviously broke down in a meaningful way into March. I want to bring up this next chart, the XRT, because I think it's interesting as well. It looks hauntingly familiar to the small caps. Sideways action since February, a breakout in November, a false breakout as it were to be, and then a retest of the low. Well, once again, it looks like we might have found that support level and bounced. Obviously, the two have little or nothing to do with each other, but the charts look hauntingly similar, which is why I wanted to bring it up. 
Yeah, well, I think it's important to bring it up. If you think about this ETF that's made up of retailers, some of the largest retailers in the U.S., I mean, one of the <clears throat> one of the concerns might be is that because we've had you know fears of, of kind of um, supply and, and and supply chain logistic problems as far as shipping and all that sort of stuff, maybe we saw massive discounting too early. I know David Rosenberg again. We're going to quote him, name check him as they say, Guy Adami. Um, he had a tweet a couple of weeks ago that maybe maybe a lot of that consumer activity happened too early in November, and it's likely to bait. And I agree with that, especially when you see the stimulus kind of rolling off the way it, the way it is. That's not a great um, technical setup here. Below the 200-day moving average, below that 90 support level where it's found um, support on numerous occasions. So let's keep a close eye on that one, because to me, that might be a leading indicator, just like you were using small caps, um, Russell 2000 as one for the broader market. The other thing that you've done a great job with, you know, we've been going, it's volatile, but you know what? We look up and we're in the same level we've been seemingly for the last, you know, five, six, seven months as the 10-year yields, which, by the way, got down to, I think, about 137 or so late last week, earlier this week. And then obviously now we're back about 147. The moves are extraordinary, in my opinion, given this should not be as volatile as it is. But yet here we are seemingly moving around, but going nowhere, running in place, as it were. Yeah, I mean, I guess the point of showing that chart, that multi-year chart, is to show obviously where we were pre-pandemic and where rates were going. We know what happened in late 2018 when the 10-year got above 3%. The stock market went down 20% in a straight line. Now, it kept on, uh, yields kept on going down. Then the stock market sooner or later started going back up when the Fed got um, a bit more dovish. But when you look at the period that we want to isolate between the start of the pandemic and now, that is getting tighter and tighter. That will resolve itself in a meaningful way one way or the other. And, you know, the trade has been buy it when it hits that uptrend and sell it when it hits that downtrend. Right. And so guess, I guess I'd love to get a sense from you because it does make sense the way the Fed is talking, the way that they've pulled forward, um, you know, some of the taper or they doubled it up over the last few months. They expect to be done at some point in March and then rate hikes had kind of been pulled forward a little bit. What is your sense? What should the 10 year be doing right now? If you believe that Omicron is going to be gone soon, the Fed continues at the pace of taper that they just signaled at their meeting last week. Um, and then ultimately, we are going to see some rate hikes next year. What do you do with this? Well, I mean, incorrectly, I thought we'd be north of, well north of 2% by now, but that's not the case. So maybe we've been locking, looking, in, or maybe I've been looking in the wrong places. And Danny Moses, our partner on, on the tape, has been talking about this. Maybe it's not the 10-year we should be looking at, but our next chart, which is the two-year. Maybe this is actually telling the story, and this is the one that we should be focused on Two-year yields a few months ago were 20 basis points. They're now north of basically 65 basis points. You can do that math, Dan. We've tripled. Maybe that's what we should be looking at. You know, the front end of the curve is being moved by the Fed jargon and the Fed rhetoric. The back end, the 10-year, is maybe being moved by the fact that maybe growth is not going to be as robust. So to your point, you know, maybe we're going to see higher rates in the front, lower ends in the back. That speaks to the exact environment that you've talked to for a while. So although I thought the 10-year was the best indicator, as it turns out, maybe it comes in the form of the two-year, or if you want to take it one step forward, the 2's 10 spreads. But that's the way you have to look at it, I think, going forward, Dan. 
Yeah. And I think Jay Powell, Fed chair, you know, last week at the meeting, I mean, he raised his inflation expectations and he's lowered his growth expectations. And you and I have been talking about a lot. And again, we've been talking about it with Danny Moses on our podcast on the tape. Check it out, people. If you don't get it already, it's in the podcast stores. Um, I I would say that the the notion of stagflation, you know, it's not something that many investors have had to deal with, but it is the sort of thing that stock market might have a hard time with, or the stock market or investors might have a, a hard time kind of calculating valuations because if we're going to have higher costs, and to your point, Guy, we might just have some things that stick around that are higher that really start to kind of work against some of the corporate margins that have been at all-time highs right now for a whole host of reasons because of liquidity and and, 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 and a lot of other reasons here. But if we do have slowing growth and we get back to that kind of 2.2 GDP average that we were at pre-pandemic, but then some input prices are higher, the rubber has to hit the road somewhere as it relates to corporate profits. And that's what the stock market might have a hard time time with it's exactly right which brings us to our next chart or our next headline i should say and this is amazing wall street journal for being about 18 months late to this dance but five big tech stocks driving the market dan and that worries some investors. this has been talking about for a while you put the math behind it carter worth has talked about this a lot of people have come around to this way of thinking the fact that may basically a handful to 10 stocks are driving all the performance that we're seeing. Yeah, and, and it's the performance, it's the, it's the concentration, it's the concentration in a very tight group. You know, in years past, I think in 2020, you know, some of the biggest names were Exxon and GE. And you know what I mean? It was a pretty wide swath. Obviously, Microsoft and some tech stocks here. But when you look at what makes up 25% of the SP 500 and 50% of the NASDAQ 100, it's Apple, it's Microsoft, it's Amazon, it's Google, it's Facebook. And then you want to throw, you know, NVIDIA and Tesla, those are near a trillion dollar. Uh, market cap companies and obviously Facebook, you know, it's a pretty tight type of companies here. And so what has happened right now, and if you look at this NASDAQ 100, it's really had this really nice uptrend. We didn't get back to it this time around. The NASDAQ has been more volatile over the course of 2021. Look at that sell-off that we had from the February highs. That was fairly significant if you think about it. And what was that in relation to? That was in the relation to rates going higher, Guy. And so when you think about the likelihood of higher rates and what it might mean for high tech, we know that high valuation, low profit profitability tech has gotten clobbered this year. It's basically crashed. But the concentration in those names is dangerous to me because if anything happens where investors kind of lose their appetite for them, the broad market may have a tough time because some of the other sectors that might you might see rotation into might not be able to hold up the whole bag. And let's run it down. Let's look at the longer term because I think this tells a great story as well in terms of the five-year NDX, right, Dan? I mean, because this really gives an indicator to the downside. The 200-day moving average comes in around, I want to say, 14,700 or so, uh, 1,000 or so NASDAQ points from here. It stands to reason that if we start to give up some of these generals that Carter talks about, that 200-day moving average is going to be tested. Yeah. And that first line, I mean, is that uptrend, that very steep uptrend from the March 2020 lows here. We're sitting right on it. It wouldn't take just a couple of Microsoft and Apple, let's say, to go the same way down about 5%. That's one of the reasons why we want to look at those names here. Look at this Apple chart. We've talked about it a lot um, over the course of this year. Um, The move that Apple has had just in the last couple of months from the lows in October to its highs just earlier this month, 
30%. That is absolutely staggering if you consider just in, that in market cap terms. But look over the course of this year, there were three 10%, three 10% peak to trough declines, the largest being back in January to its lows in March of nearly 20%. Then we had a teens and then we had about 11% um, earlier this fall. Don't think for a second this stock can't go down 10% or more, especially if after it's just literally gained, you know, six, seven hundred billion dollars in market cap in a very short period of time. And so to me, I, you know, again, we could back that thing out and you'd see multiple 20% plus peak to trough declines over the last five years. But we just wanted to focus on this year because Apple is driving a great deal of performance right now. <clears throat> Turns out you can trade Apple as well. I mean, it's a big, extraordinarily tradable stock. And I thought 157, that sort of high that we sort of sold off from early September, makes a lot of sense. You got to look at then Microsoft as well, because again, very quietly, you've had a pretty significant sell off in this name. Listen, that's not a bad thing. We've seen it before in Microsoft as well. It's a healthy thing in terms of what's going on here. Um, but the move is precipitous from that high, that all time high we made in late November to where we are right now. Yeah, well, I'd make the case, though, on a relative basis, Guy, Microsoft up 44% of the year. It hasn't actually had a 10% peak to drop decline so far this year relative to the movement that Apple has had to the downside when it gets going. And that's the one, for whatever reason, investors have piled into the performance relative to Apple up on the year is up a lot. And then those peak to drop declines, like I said, are much lower. You know, Apple's up 20% of the year. That's fantastic here. Um, this Microsoft, obviously approaching $3 trillion in market and I just wanted to highlight this last one, Amazon, which is obviously one of the big ones. And, you know, look at that thing. It's below its 200-day moving average. It has held that uptrend that's been in place from the March lows, but it's only up 2% on the year. So it's really underperforming. And I think what's important here to understand is that we just talked about the differential between, you know, perceived value or growth at a reasonable price. That might be Apple and Microsoft in the upper 20s um, as far as the PE is concerned. But look at Amazon, not considered cheap, and the stock is underperformed. And that lines up, I guess, pretty well with that narrative of maybe unprofitable or really expensive tech. Thoughts there, Guy? Well, exactly right. And if you look at Amazon, um, which I know you see when you look at it, but you also have this major double top formation from basically the summer until the recent high we made again in November. That does not look all that promising. And that trend line that you drew is absolutely uh, in play here. Amazon hasn't traded well. To your point, people aren't talking about it for whatever reason, because I guess there's so many other stories to talk about. But, you know, if we think about it, if other things were going pear-shaped, I think all of a sudden we'd be talking about Amazon a lot more. We are at huge support levels. And if the NDX starts to give it up, you have to wonder what drives what. Will Amazon drive the NDX or vice versa? I don't know. But this is uh, scaring me a little bit, the way Amazon's been trading. Something that has been scary as well, though, Dan, that you've been all over, is the Bitcoin. Um, from 67,000 down to, what, 45,000 or so. Uh, but here we are back around 49. Bloomberg, Bitcoin, back above 49,000. Biggest jump since, wait for it, wait for it, since November, as if that's news. That's a pretty ridiculous headline. But hey, that's what makes markets, Dan. 
No, it is. I mean, 69,000 down to about 45,000. It's sitting right on his 200-day moving average. I, I think what's important, and you brought this up on numerous occasions of late, is like, let's just see how correlated you know one is to the other. That means the stock market is to Bitcoin. And especially as we go into year end, it's had a nice year. Um, it's really underperformed um, many other crypto assets, specifically Ethereum, which is the second biggest one um, here. So I look at this chart in Bitcoin. It's below that uptrend that was um, in and place from the July lows. We had a July move from 29,000 to 69,000 um, in early November. So we're seeing a little bit of a cooling off here. Let's see how it can hold that 200-day moving average. Obviously, you see that cluster from late September down near 40,000. That might be a level. I will say this. There was a headline that we could have also put up there aside from that goofy one from Bloomberg where it was something, maybe it was in Business Insider the other day. It was basically saying that you know Bitcoin OGs, they love these sell-offs. It shakes out the weak hands. It gives them the opportunity um, to kind of buy more. And, you know, listen, I think the volatility, as the software folks like to say, is kind of a feature, not a bug. But I will tell you the technical setup here is not fantastic right now. If you think about it, it's up, you know, a little more than 100% of the year versus Ethereum. Look at this one, though. Ethereum started the year um, down about 700 bucks or so. Here we are, you know, straddling 4,000 down from its highs, maybe at 4,800. That chart looks a lot more constructive. And I think there's a lot more of the buzzwords, the sort of thing that might be drawing in people like our folks like Brendan, maybe it's the NFTs, maybe it's DeFi, whatever the heck it is. And maybe there's a bit more enthusiasm about the stuff being built on Ethereum versus just the case for digital gold right now with Bitcoin. Thoughts guide Nami quickly on the correlations and what uh, a rally in the year end might mean for crypto, or if it was kind of give it up and kind of get a little weak into year end. Look, you know, I've thought for a while that they should there should be an inverse correlation. In other words, you know, well, I guess I guess not inverse. There should be a direct correlation that if Bitcoin starts to give it up, it should have some effect on some of these high flying tech names. And that really hasn't been the case. And I also thought it would have an effect on the broader market. That clearly hasn't been the case. Bitcoin is sort of its own animal. But you wonder over the next week or so as we get towards year end, is there going to be some of this, as we like to call it, paint the tape type of things where there's this buying flurry in the year end to get the price higher? We'll see. I don't know. But maybe we're on the start of it now. ETH is the thing that you talk about. You think this is going to be the long-term winner. We'll see. I think you're going to be right. A lot of people in the know the Brian Kellys and the Meltems of the world seem to think that as well. Time to bring in Chris Vecchio. Chris, you've heard us wax poetic for the last 19 or so minutes. Talk to us before we get into your charts. There we go. Happy holidays, gentlemen. I hope the uh, the end of December is treating both of you well. Same for your families. Uh, you know, I think the big thing for the cryptocurrency markets is that we may have a crisis of confidence soon. All these people were calling Ethereum up to 5,000, 8,000 by the end of the year, Bitcoin to 100,000. These predictions don't look like they're going to come true. Now, the last two weeks of the month could present something new, unique that anyone would find unexpected. It's cryptocurrency. So seeing a doubling of price wouldn't necessarily shock anyone, but it just seems so far-fetched right now. Um, I do think it's interesting, however, that a lot of these cryptocurrencies, particularly Ethereum, have high correlations with forward-looking measures of inflation. The two-year, two-year inflation swap forward, for example, has the highest correlation with Ethereum more than the NASDAQ or the S&P 500. And uh, as we see, the Fed is getting pretty aggressive, signaling six rate hikes over the next two years. But I find it interesting that since the Fed's meeting last week, rate hike odds have come down a little bit. Instead of seeing potentially 150 basis points priced in through the end of 2023, we only have about 136 right now. It's almost as if the market is signaling to the Fed, listen, if you are as aggressive as you intend on being uh, in 2022, 
you're not going to need a hike rate six times through the end of 2023 because inflation will not only come down, we can debate whether transitory is the right word to use when describing the picture, but more importantly, uh, we could be talking about recessionary conditions sometime soon. You know, it's really not lost to me that after uh, Joe Manchin came out and said that he would not support the Build Back Better bill, uh, we saw Goldman Sachs downgrade U.S. growth for 2022 from about 3.4% to 2.9%. Just some back of the math, uh, back of the envelope math here for you. If we lose the child tax credit, if we see the student loan debt moratorium lifted, that's about 700, 750 bucks per month for lower and middle class households that will be out of their pockets. That's lower consumption. That's lower government spending. Those are big headwinds to GDP. And that's a problem for growth moving forward. Uh, And so I I do think that the market is looking a little less certain that the Fed is going to be so aggressive moving forward. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the Build Back Better because that's exactly what it is. But if you look at this chart, something's got to give. And that's going to come probably in the form of the rate hike odds or U.S. dollar, which is our first chart. Also, the second chart we want to look because something's got to give it up here. Either the dollar's got to come back down to earth or... The other thing is wrong. The, the rate hike odds are too low. I don't know what it is, but I'm sure you do. Well, I, I do think that this mix uh, caters to at least some more sideways movement in the dollar. Uh, the, the big picture here for the dollar is, yes, it's been tracking those rate hike odds. And as they've come down, that creates a little bit more of a headwind for the greenback. Uh, but the dollar is also a constituency of some other major currencies. And when you take a look at what's happening in Europe right now, record COVID infections, uh, a central bank that is not budging on its rate outlook, refusing to address the inflation problems. It, it speaks to a weaker euro. And we've talked about this for several months now, and it's been a very good guidepost. But when you look at uh, or you extend six months forward, the inflation differentials between the U.S. and the eurozone it still speaks to a weaker euro dollar. So right now, dancing below that trend line from the all-time high that we had back uh, right around the post-global financial crisis era, and you can see here that we're now still in this triangle formation. It's evolved a little bit over the past week, but still pointing to lower prices. Euro dollar moving to the 110, 109 range in first quarter 2022 seems like a high probability at this point in time. And that suggests, I would imagine, if you do the correlation, it's that's a DXY. It's going to be either side of 100. And that 108 level that you have outlined there looks sort of like the bullseye for that one. We'll see. I mean, to me, this is the most one of the most important trades going forward in the next year is going to be what happens with the dollar and then subsequently with rates and with the euro. We will see. But it all then comes down to gold, which, as we both know, just sort of stuck here in the mud. And maybe that's just what gold's future is, going nowhere in a hurry. Gold's really going nowhere in a hurry. It's, it's tough sledding right now for gold prices. We're losing uh, low interest rates. We're losing fiscal stimulus. Both of these are uh, inflationary factors as they boost deficits. They reduce real yields. Uh, right now, gold prices still hanging out below 1800. We've talked previously, if we between 1760 and 1800 for this month, it wouldn't be a surprise. I will point out that we did have a nice technical bullish reversal last week, a bullish outside engulfing bar on the weekly time frame. And so we may be able to push higher up into that 1815 range or so. Beyond 1815, you get to 1835. But this is not a favorable environment for gold. Uh, there are some seasonal factors in play. December and January have been two of the best months of the year during the QE era over the past five and 10 years. And so uh, that may help keep gold prices insulated. But I see a lot of sideways chop moving forward. Uh, in particular, gold may be struggling in so far as flows are going to the cryptocurrency market instead of uh, the traditional bullion. We have our digital bullion that's uh, gaining some uh, some appeal. 
Probably, yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. The price is, no, you know, that great Beatles song, Nowhere Man. Well, gold has been Nowhere Man now for the last few months, and it probably is going to continue to be. So. I don't know. Like, I thought there have been so many catalysts here to get gold higher. None of them have come to fruition. We'll see what 2022 holds. But you can't talk about gold unless you talk about oil. And Dan Nathan has done a great job with this one. Uh, we should be at support, but I don't even know anymore what's going on. I mean, there's so many cross currents here in the oil market, Chris. Well, oil really is reflecting what's going on with the Omicron variant right now. And uh, Omicron is spreading rapidly. Not a surprise. It looks like it's more transmissible. But the good news is that the data is still suggesting that it's less lethal. Uh, looking at the caseloads out of South Africa, uh, Omicron got to about 120% of infections relative to the Delta peak, but hospitalizations were only 65%. ICU visits only 25%. And uh, those who were intubated in the hospital, only about 16% of the Delta peak. So uh, this is a concern for global growth, right? Oil generally reflects global GDP. If you look at the quarter, quarterly correlation between global oil demand and global GDP going back 30 years, it's a very robust 0.97. And so right now, I think oil is that proxy for how the market feels about Omicron. There's a lot of wood to chop here right now. We've been trading below the one-month moving average for about five weeks now. We haven't been able to climb through it on rallies this December. We had a nice little washout move yesterday. Actually, we bounced at the 23.6 Fibonacci retracement of the 2020 low, 2021 high range. And so in the near term, we could be seeing a move back up towards 73. This would be good news for stocks. I think stocks and oil are basically trading hand in hand right now, uh, reflecting risk around this pandemic. You know, Dan has brought this up and I want to bring Dan back in real quick. The fact that there, there's a school of thought out there. And again, I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to pretend to be one, but there's a school of thought that this variant might actually create the herd immunity for the world that we need. Not unlike what we saw 100 or so years ago. And maybe that would be bullish for commodities. Dan, some thoughts? Yeah. And, and Chris, uh, you know, just made a good point about stocks, too, what it means for stocks. And listen, you know, there's been a lot of calls for, I guess, you know, I'm just going to twerk you right now, guy, for the Santa Claus rally. Supposedly it starts today and ends that, you know, right after whatever. I, I just think that, like, listen, if we start discounting and that's what you see in the stock market today, I'm seeing travel stocks, whether they be airlines or I'm seeing crude bouncing or I'm seeing Expedia up 8%. If we're already going to start to discount this variant and the market thinks that it's going to be kind of over and smooth sailing into 2022, I just say the higher we rally here off of this up 22% on the year base that we have in the S&P 500, the quicker that comes back in January or possibly February. So that would be my concern if we get a level of over exuberance about this, because we still have plenty of headwinds for the economy, the global economy and the stock market. I'm going to use the big word for you, Dan. If you don't know it, Google it. This was the penultimate market call. Sorry, it's hard for me to say. Uh, and again, I want to thank our. I want to thank the great Chris Vecchio, senior strategist at Daily FX. Uh, today's market call macro, Dan, was brought to you by our presenting sponsors, IG, one of the fastest growing forex dealers in North America. And get ready, Dan. Ready, Dan. Open exchange because they manage virtual meetings at what? Please help me. That matter for the top companies around the world, guys, Dami. You're, I can tell you're done with me. That's fine. You're going to get me again Tuesday, the 20. I believe it'll be the 8th, our last market call macro of the year. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Dan. Thanks, our sponsors. See you next week. Yeah.